to me, I mean, generosity is not just the, the sum total of one action or initiative or corporate, you know, deal. Um, it's, it's the way you live your life. It's the way you treat your neighbor. It's the way you raise your kids. It's the, it should be infused into everything you do. Are you a follower of Jesus that feels called to expand the kingdom of God through building and growing successful businesses? If that's you, then welcome to the Kingdom Capitalist Show that interviews amazing Christians using their business and money-making abilities to expand God's kingdom all over the globe. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond, and welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to the Kingdom Capitalist Show. I always say this, I'm so excited to bring on another guest with you today, and, and just to to, to remind you the reason why like the kingdom capitalist show exists is because we have a vision for the kingdom and, and and we have a vision to see God really raise up a generation of kingdom capitalists, people who re- really want to grow and expand God's kingdom and who are called to really build and grow successful businesses. And today we have for me, who is a hero as a kingdom capitalist, who is really dreaming and thinking at another level and really performing and operating his business at another level. Welcome to the show, everyone, Mr. Ryan Smith. Ryan, what's up, brother? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so tell our listeners um, kind of where you are in the world and and what you're currently doing there. Yeah, so right now we're in Orlando. So I'm talking to you from Orlando, Florida. It's where my office is. It's where my family lives, um, and it's where we, you know, live, play, and are building a business. So it's a it's a great place. What is your business? So we're in uh, real estate, private equity. So we primarily acquire income generating assets, primarily mobile home parks and self storage, with the goal of making them better over time, adding value to them over a long period of time. And I uh, and you're currently sitting around what as far as assets under management right now. So we roughly, we, we've acquired roughly in total through all of our vehicles, um, right at around, you know, 500 million in assets in total, uh, plus or minus. When did you get started? Uh, so we started our first fund in 2010, uh, but we had been investing personally for many years prior to that. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to say, I'd have to look back, but call it 16, 17 years ago, plus or minus, something yeah, like that. And, and I also just know that you closed, you just guys finished on your seventh fund, right? I think that's closed. And that was, uh, you brought in $150 million in private equity to, to be able to, to acquire other assets. Is that correct? We're getting there. So fund seven is approximately $130 million currently um, in commitments. And it'll close uh, on April 1st of next year or when we hit $150 million, whichever comes first. Okay. Uh, but I do think we'll hit out, you know, close it out at 150 uh, million here in the next, you know, couple months. Hard to hard to predict, but we're on a good path. I, I just I love your story, and I can't wait for our listeners to uh, to hear more about it. I mean, because that what you're doing is amazing as a uh, as a man of God, a man who loves the Lord, uh, but is also thinking big and dreaming big about uh, how God might use you and your company. And I mean, a hundred fifty million dollar fund—that's the you know, number seven at four hundred fifty million dollars under management. Plus, I mean, that's big thinking, and so uh, that really is is what I'm excited to talk about today, Ryan. But before we get started, man, I, I would just love to pray for us and uh, ask God to really bless our time, and, uh, and then we can get going. So, uh, Father, thank you so much for this this time together. Thank you for Ryan, and thank you for his presence there in Orlando and his company and. And just how he's helping so many people invest their money in a smart way, 
the way his company I know is is being generous to the city uh, there in Orlando and and just thank you for his life and, and and his salvation and Lord I pray for this time for our listeners that his story and um, and even just the truths that are going to come from this time, God, might bless our, our our listeners, our audience, and that you might raise up other kingdom capitalists who who think with a kingdom lens to really grow and build businesses, God, that will that will advance your kingdom here on our earth. And I pray that in Christ's name, Amen. Amen. So I want to go back a little bit because we, you know, we've met. I've been to your house. We've we've hung out a couple of times, and, and I remember asking you this question. Uh, I said, Ron, well, did you always want to be in business? And you said, yeah, <laughs> like forever. And so what, what was your first kind of entrepreneurial idea? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, yeah, I was always curious. Um, and so to me, I think that's the kind of the genesis of a business is curiosity and, and wondering if you can do things uh, maybe better uh, or if a um, uh, possibility exists. But the first inkling I, I knew, I guess, was um, having to do with coding. So you know, I, I got my first computer when I was a when I was a you know in, uh, when I was a young person, and you know had to had to know how it worked, and ended up teaching myself you know how to write software. Um, you know, and prior to that, I you know had a TI. I think it was a TI ninety two. Um, you know, HP uh, or I'm sorry, not HP, T, uh, Texas Instrument um, um, calculator. You know, that was pro- programmable, and and so I I you know taught myself how to write software and applications for for that and then started, you know, giving them to friends and at school that helped simplify their their work process and eventually started selling some of those programs to to friends and but but really at a young age when I when I started writing software it wasn't about monetizing anything it was just about seeing a a a problem or um, something that could be done more efficiently and then initially trying to solve it through software so I would write a software application that would simplify the process and uh, at the very beginning, give away the software, and you know, to anybody who uh, would want it or could use it, and they, you know, give me feedback and tell me, you know, how terrible the software was and how it could be so much better, and I and I love that, and then I'd go back and, you know, iterate and and make it better over time. And that was you were still. How old did you say you were when that happened? You know, it's, I have to go back because there was a progression. Um, I remember the first time I really sat down and wanted to learn how to, to write software was around, I was eight, I think, wow. um, was a was a, a computer and it was it was just basic. Um, literally, the language was basic. Uh, and then when it, you know, it went on from there to many other languages. But once you realize what you can do with software uh, in any language, um, you know, there's a construct, there's an architecture to it. Um, and you realize that, you know, if you need to learn a le- another language, you you, you kind of step into that language with, a, you know, being familiar with how it works. Right. Uh, now you just have to learn the, the you know, the, the language. When did you go into business for yourself? Was Elevation, what was what was prior to Elevation? Was there a company you owned then or was Elevation your first company for yourself? Yeah. So um, I started writing software uh, in my, you know, teenage years. Um you know, like I said, I you know, my te- my teachers in, in high school. You know, I, I wrote them applications, and you know, would, would do a lot of you know software writing, and and all of that was given away. But um, one of the first businesses I had was more consulting, um, and consulting in the sense of you know businesses. And this was around just for context. This was in the early mid '90s. Um, you know, so this was you know frames, HTML frames was a new technology just for context. Um, you know tables were just coming out. Um, 
you know, so in, in short, there were a lot of businesses that had no web presence um, looking to kind of jump on the web. And so I was, um, you know, building out their their websites and coding them, not just in HTML, but, you know, with, a, with an ASP uh, programmable backend, um, you know, that tapped into databases and did certain things. And so, you know, I'd, I'd make, you know, a lot of money for the time. You know, I might make $1,000 or $500 or $2,000 or $3,000 on a per project basis. Um, but the thing I didn't like at the time, you know, I loved the work, I loved what I was doing, but after some time I realized that it was a very linear business and that if I didn't code, I didn't get paid. Um, and I, you know, I started to wonder if there was a better way to do things. Um, and that, you know, then took me on to, you know, a couple other companies that I started, which predated, you know, elevation. So as a kingdom capitalist, I, I guess, and I, I want to get into the story of Elevation because I, I know the story that, you know, a little bit, and I want our listeners to hear more about that, what you and your wife are building. But to kind of think about um, the, the, the faith component, right, of, of you being a man of faith and thinking about that in terms of your business and becoming a kingdom capitalist, was that something always there in the background that you really kind of knew God, God had kind of wired you this way? Or where do you think kind of that, I don't know, that those things became, started coming together that you really realized, hey, like God has gifted me kind of in these entrepreneurial ideas. I also, you know, really want to follow him. What, it, where did that kind of begin to connect for you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. I think, you know, it's been a spectrum um, kind of over time. So, um, you know, when I was growing up, I was, I was raised in the church. I had, a, a you know, I, I believed, um, you know, in Jesus and had a relationship with him. Um, but there was a, con there was kind of a cultural component, you know, where, um, which, which tends to be more works-based, you know, quid pro quo, if you do this, something comes mm -hmm. of it, um, uh, which you see in a lot of different, um, you know, publications you see today, um, pretty widespread. Um, but over time, you know, and I would say in my twenties, I got exposed to a gentleman named Tim Keller, uh, who has a ministry redeemer Presbyterian out of New York. Yeah. And I think highly of uh, Tim. I actually, my second son is named Keller. And I think highly of him. Um, and so in, in short, you know, you know, I've, I've gained a lot from his ministry um, and, and come to realize that really, you know, rather than living our life in the hopes of, um, you know, getting something or in short earning salvation, um, you know, it, it really is backwards in that if we if we really believe there was an event on a cross, um, then our life in response to that, you know, should be lived in a way where we're 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 really everything we do is in response to that that gift we got uh, that was completely unearned, um, you know, and we should be wrestling with that um, every day in our lives moving forward. Um, so our lives aren't really to be lived in a pursuit of something that might come in the future. It's you know, being lived in a response to what's happened in the past. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a minute right there to make sure we record. So I, I, I want to stay on that because I think that's so huge. Like, what does that mean then Ryan, like as a, uh, as a visionary, as a, as a business owner, like how does, because I don't think like, that's the whole point of the show because we don't make that connection, right? Like it's okay. We're saved. We're Christians. Let me just kind of go on my life or go on with uh, my work. But you're saying it's much bigger than that. Like that has caused you to live your life or operate your business or just think differently. And so can you maybe explain that? Like 
flesh that out a little bit about how that maybe yeah. pertains to what you're doing now and how that's causing you to just operate? Sure. Starting, I guess, with a simple concept, it's it's push versus pull. It's being pushed into the future by a belief and your response to, like I said, the event of the cross and what that, uh, the ramifications that that has, rather than being pulled into the future um, by some expectant outcome that you think might happen that we as humans um, come to believe that we're entitled to, you know, because we expect it, we're entitled. So we're being pushed forward rather than pulled forward. And, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, so when you look at a, a, um, a new pursuit, you know, if, if we're responding to the cross, um, you know, in, in, in what we gained in, in Christ's death, that, that removes a lot of the risk. Like for, that, you, know, the, you know, the Bible talks about all the, the good things that we have through Christ. Well, that's sometimes people say, well, you know, that's in the future. Well, to me, that was on the cross. The, the best thing that I have happened to me as a result of the cross. So to me, as I step into the future and take risk, um, and, and serve people and, and, you know, discharge stewardship to the best of my ability. Um, if something, you know, uh, material comes from it or not, um, I, I really don't lose because I already have the, the, the greatest thing that I could ever come by. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not at risk. My, my future is not at risk. Um, so that frees you to take the next best step that other people wouldn't take um, because they fear losing in the future, the pull rather than being pushed by the past uh, forward. And so I, I think to a degree, if your past is secure and you're confident in um, where you're coming from and you have faith in where you're going, you have more ability to take risk in the present and serve people in a way that other people might not um, take risks that other people might not um, because those folks are possibly looking as those activities as possibly robbing from future outcomes. Yes. Um, so. I don't know if that makes sense. That's probably horribly stated. <laughs> no, um, actually, I think it's probably the best that's ever been stated. I think I, yeah. I, I well, and, and maybe it's because I've been thinking about this so much. You really, the light bulb came on for me. And so if our listeners are uh, just maybe hearing this idea for the first time, I can understand why this might be kind of complicated a little bit, but it, it's, it's the idea of like our foundation is secure, right? And our identity is secure because that's really what this comes yeah. down to. Right. Sure. And, and so many people are still looking for that in their work or in, in their success, in their business. And so they're always kind of gauging or measuring or saying, well, can I really go do that thing, that vision, that dream that I have? And what will people think of me if I succeed? Or maybe more importantly, what will people think of me if I fail? And what you're saying is that from that perspective, we're being pulled, mm -hmm. right? Because we're so worried about the outcome. But from a Christian, from a kingdom capitalist perspective, we say it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what happens because the the most important thing about my identity or my foundation has already happened. I'm already secure. And from there, I can be pushed to go and accomplish my dreams. I can be pushed to go and accomplish my vision, no matter how big it is, no matter how scary. And it's really what you and your wife have done. Well, and yeah, and to and to that end, you know, my my dream doesn't matter, you know, and I and I say this because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if God is and in Jesus Christ is who we say He is and believe He is, then nothing about our dreams and visions matter, right? I mean, it it doesn't matter. I mean, if if I'm living out my life as a response to the gift that He gave and and stewarding the resource of life and breath um, as a form of worship to say, you know, this is gratitude 
for what happened, you know, but the point is if my business um, grows to, you know, uh, twice the size it is, stays the current size or becomes half the size it is, none of that. I mean, really, when we talk about legacy, uh, you know, my wife gets, I'm sure she's tired of hearing me talk about legacy because I would, I would say to you, you know, and to everybody else, um, go back five generations off the top of your head. You have 10 seconds, name the most successful person, five generations back in your family. And here's my guess. Not one of you can name the person, nor do you know what they did. Right. Five generations. Yeah, no, no, idea. No, no idea. Right. So why will five generations be any different with us? Wow. So there's, there's nothing that, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, one day the sun will go out and nothing that we do matters. And at, at, to a degree, if you don't have faith, that's, an, that's, a, that's a devastating concept that, you know, really nothing that we do for or against, step forward or backwards or, or no step, none of it matters. Um, but, you know, with, with, you know, Jesus in the equation, it's kind of the Higgs bosom. You know, it's the it's the one that, you know, really expands meaning to our activity or provides meaning to our activity. If we believe we have the greatest we've received the greatest gift that has ever been conjured or could ever be created, then, you know, we realize that we are then living our life in response to that, knowing that really still, you know, our response to that is a form of worship. It's it's a it's a it's a glorified thank you, Mm -hmm. Um, not not that anything we do really matters um, to us, but it should matter, hopefully, to him. So did you, when you thought, like in 2009 or 2008, when you were kind of thinking or about Elevation Capital and where you wanted to go with this, did, did you set out to say, man, I'm going to do something big, or I have a big vision for this company? Because I think what you're saying is great, but but what you've done is amazing. You you have created oh. incredible impact, right? So did you set out to say I want to do something big with my life in response to what God has done, or like did, did that just kind of happen? I mean, walk yeah. me through that then to kind of put some maybe legs to what you're saying here for sure. our listeners. Sure. So it's not to say yeah, and 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 I I see what you're getting at. It's a good point. It, it's not that nothing matters, so nothing matters. It, it's that at the end of the day, we're not building our kingdom. Um, because to my point earlier, go five, five generations back, there, there's no kingdom within your family line, you know, kingdom, quote unquote, that is still surviving um, and thriving. So with regards, though, to, you know, some people can say, OK, well, if if nothing really matters in terms of building my kingdom, then why do anything? Why, you know, why not just sit around, eat ho-hos and, and watch Springer or whatever it is that somebody wants Jack to do. Jack Ryan, that, that's right. really what I've been. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think right now. <laughs> probably the last time I, I really watched TV. I think it was Springer. Um, so it's been it's been a while, but but in, in in short, you know, to me, I you know, going back to kind of elevation, you know, I've always had a curiosity, you know. So for me, I didn't start, you know, our first fund with the with the thought of, you know, having the, being at the current size that we are today. I, I think our our goal, uh, Jamie and I, had a a dream of saying, okay, well, maybe one day we'll get to 50 million in assets. Wow. You know, maybe. Uh, and I, and I remember saying that in, in, you know, to be fair, if it happened, great. If it didn't happen, great. You know, but that was, you know, kind of to say, okay, well, man, that would be neat if that happened. But over the, over the time period of that, we've you know been building our business, our, our constant focus has been better, not necessarily more because more is not always better. You know, we, we were focusing on how can we do things better each and every day 
But to integrate faith into that, then the question is, okay, well, why do you do those things? You know, why, how do you go about better? What does that look like? You know, I think in response to uh, the cross, that informs a lot of how we should go, the excellence we should go about our work. Because again, the push versus the pull, you know, if we fully realize what we have and what we got, which I don't, by the way, I I don't think I will ever fully realize um, what we have. Uh, through what Christ did on the cross, that if we respond to that, that should make the lows higher and the highs much lower. We should be much more, I, I, I mean, if that makes sense, uh, it, it, it should really smooth out the emotional highs and lows of the business, which come from really most of the highs and lows come from expectancy in the future, a, a, a vision we have for what we deserve in the future and our identity lying in the future. Right. So, you know. Um, How so do you anyway. keep yourself because you're performing at a high level, right? Right. I mean, this is oh, easier debatable. to <laughs> $450 million in nine years. You're performing at an incredible level and you're about to, you're $130 million in your fund seven. You're doing amazing. But my question is, how do you, because I think it's, I don't want to say it's easier at any level, but when you're performing at your level and you're around bigger people, that more wealthier people and people who are doing incredible things and, you have a lot more money. Like, how do you keep yourself in that mindset, in that framework? Like, to really, like you just said, keep the highs low and the lows high. Kind of that, you know, just this mindset that you're talking about. How do you stay there? How do you remind yourself? How do you stay rooted and grounded in the cross um, when you're when you're performing it at, at a level when you're at a level like you are? Yeah, I think you said it. You know, I try I try not to leave the foot of the cross. You know, because it's it's not about you know, I, I know people who are incredibly intentional and they've got intention cornered. They've got the market of intention cornered. They go to business classes, they read a lot of books and all of those things are great. Um, but that's, you know, to me, the, the greatest event in my life that happened long before my, you know, that I was born, trying to come to grips with that, wrestling with that um, and and doing that, you know, as much as I can on a daily basis. And it's, you know, I, I've got, you know, friends that I'm a part, you know, groups of friends that we're wrestling with this, you know, daily, we have texts, you know, I've already had probably 13, 14 texts this morning from a group of guys that, you know, anyway, the, the point is, I'm, I'm wrestling the, with this for myself, but I also, there's a community of people wrestling with what this looks like. That's huge. So you have yep. like a small group or a mastermind or something like that of guys that you really do this with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's been life changing for me having that group. I, it well that also brings up this point. We're, we're talking about a mastermind and, and we're kind of opening up a mastermind with Kingdom Capitalist, which um, Ryan, I'm so excited to tell listeners you're an advisor of that, uh, and you can see why everyone that why why I invited Ryan to be an advisor for Kingdom Capitalist because uh, man, this perspective is amazing. I, I just very few people think like this and yet are still able to accomplish what he's accomplished. And so I just real quick, I'd just love to, for you to share with the listeners why, why you decided to be an advisor for a group like Kingdom Capitalists and, 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 and why you're excited for that. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I love meeting people who, um, you know, have a, a passion and a vision for something more or better uh, in their own life. And then um, those who are wrestling what it means to be uh, with the concept of what it means to be a Christian in the workplace. And um, I don't have all the answers. So selfishly speaking, I, I might, uh, I might <laughs> learn quite a bit. And I, I think that's, there's a great chance that I will. Yeah. Yeah, no, so excited for that. So I want to get into the story of elevation. Um, 
because I have heard it a little bit, but I want to, I want to dive in. There's a couple of things I want to ask you as well. And so, um, let's go there. Gosh, there's so much I want to talk about, but take me to it. You said your wife and you had a dream. $50 million was kind of the, was kind of the dream at first. And so you, did you guys just sit down and say, Hey, we want to get into real estate. Let's start a fund. I mean, take, take me back. Yeah, no. Um, you know, our story, it's it's always impressive when you start from the present and look back. It's reasonable to imply great vision. And in many cases, we were just bumping around in the dark and pursuing better. And, you know, um, oh, that's a door to a dead end. Let's go back and, you know, maybe go further down the hall, so to speak. But when we when we started, so coming out of college, I had, uh, you know, a, a decent amount of income because I had started a software company that uh, was geared towards real estate investors. Um, I had written a software application to help my dad, uh, who's in real estate, and and help his business. It basically helped him come to a better purchase decision to financially analyze his investments um, pretty quickly and simply. And so I had built an install base of over a hundred thousand users worldwide, and had made you know quite a bit of money um, as a teenager from that software company. So coming out of college, played baseball all the way through college, came out of college, had a decent base of capital. I knew real estate was a great place to invest and, and build wealth and, and those things. So my wife and I, um, at the time, she, we were actually dating, um, but we decided she was going to pursue a career in law. And we had you know, talked and I, um, to a degree, talked her out of pursuing a legal career and <laughs> building a business. I had always wanted to build a business with my spouse. That was mm. um, something I always wanted to do. Mm. Um, and thankfully, she was um, incredibly responsive. It didn't take much convincing. She's incredibly entrepreneurial and incredibly bright. Um, in fact, if you ever, you know, you know, if any of your listeners ever hear from her in the future, you will definitely feel bait and switched, um, you know, and, and hearing from me. But she, <laughs> um, so we came together and we, you know, we, we wanted to generate income. We wanted to create equity. We wanted the tax benefits akin to real estate. We wanted uh, non-correlation to the, to the extent possible. We didn't want, you know, to go um, on the roller coaster of the markets, you know, you know, once again, to the extent possible, you know, there's, there's no uh, perfectly non-correlated asset that I found. But so we, out of the gate, we bought, uh, we started buying single family houses. It's what my family did. It's what her family did. Um, I think in our early twenties, uh, we acquired something like 20, 25, you know, properties, um, no syndication. It was all our money, all our credit. And, you know, we still own a lot of those properties to this day, but we realized that the market wasn't scalable, that building a base of single family assets wasn't that scalable. And so we, we started saying, okay, well, there's gotta be a, a, a you know, better way to do this. Um, and so we started looking at commercial real estate. We, we spent, call it six to six months to a year. And all we did was study and build models for um, storage, apartments, billboards, office, retail. Um, and then somebody said, hey, have you ever thought about mobile home parks? And we said, no, but we'll build a model. And so uh, the two models that we liked the most, our, our thought was we'd just put all the models on the table and whichever ones, you know, let them duke it out. And the ones that had the most merit we'd pursue. And the two that we liked the most were storage and mobile home parks. Um, for a, for a number of reasons, and it was a really good decision to pursue those. We still, to this day, um, really only buy mobile home parks and storage for very specific reasons. Um, so we we you know we were we were pretty lucky to to found those two asset classes at that time. So anyway, we started buying assets, um, 
you know, building a base of assets. So we bought a mobile home park, my wife and I did. Um, and, you know, we found it, you know, financed it, managed it, um, soup to nuts, everything. And it turned out, you know, it, it met our underwriting. Then we bought a second one and a third one. And at this time, you know, friends and family were concerned, you know, because we're buying, you know, trailer parks. And this was not, you know, today they're sexy. I mean, mm-hmm. today, you, know, you tell somebody you buy mobile home parks and you're the cool kid in the room. Mm-hmm. This was the time when you say you buy mobile home parks and, <laughs> you know, you get escorted out. And, you know, totally. Kind of leave. Um, so, so anyway, it was, um, you know, I had one family member say, well, if your, if your business model doesn't work out, at least you have a place to live. Uh, which, <laughs> you know, this was, this was kind of the, you know, this was kind of what we were you know, dealing with. And so we, for, for us, we saw potential. So we kept going. Um, but really a lot of things changed, um, as things often do when you don't expect it and out of kind of out of the blue. So I had a real pivotal, uh, pivotal, um, part of our business, um, you know, happened in, and we've gone back, I think it was right around 2005, 2006. I had given a talk, I think in 2004, 2005 in Boston on investing in mobile home parks. And there was a gentleman who was in that talk who, um, long story short, um, you know, had been with Ronald Reagan um, as governor of California. And this gentleman was an architect and it's a very successful, very neat man. I think at the time he was in his 60s, I was in my early mid 20s. And for whatever reason, uh, call it poor judgment on his part, but we became friends. Um, and, you know, over over many, many years, the you know, the friendship grew. He kept, you know, uh, we kept tabs on him. He kept tabs on us. We lived in Orlando. He lives in Newport Beach, California. Um, and so I think it was in 2005, 2006 that he reached out to me. He said, you know, I, I really want to introduce you to a good friend of mine named Brian. And I, you know, I think highly of this friend of mine's name's Rush. Um, so I, I think highly of Rush. And so I said, I'd love to meet him. Tell me about him. And he said, well, I want to introduce you. He owns, I think he said at the time, like 50,000 units or more. It may have been even more than that, but, you know, roughly 50,000 units, primarily in storage. He was one of the lar- fifth largest owner of storage in the U.S., you know, all private, all of this stuff. And so, I mean, my mind, I still remember, I think at that time we owned, you know, Jamie and I own you know, 500 plus or minus units, I, I can't recall. But anyway, I couldn't get my mind around 50,000. I mean, I couldn't get my mind around 1,000, 5,000. I mean, we're here we are slogging it out, you know, this, you know, like charging forward and gale force winds, it felt like. And here's, you know, this gentleman, you know, just it just from what it sounded like it was he was sitting still going 100 miles an hour with no effort. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know, what is what does he know that I don't? Um, um, so anyway, in short, I said, yeah, I'd love to, to meet. And so he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll set up the time. And so he called back, I think it was a day or two later. He said, okay, great. I got a, got a time for you to meet with him. Um, know that he doesn't meet with people. He's very private. So don't be surprised if he doesn't do a lot of talking, uh, and whatever you do, don't be light, late. Uh, and oh, by the way, and this was at, um, this was an evening said, oh, by the way, um, you know, he really, the only time he has available is tomorrow night in Newport Beach. And I was in Orlando. Oh so, um, you know, the next flight out was the next morning. Jamie and I booked a flight, flew to LAX was the only flight. You know, we got dressed and, you know, changed, you know, ironed clothes, the whole thing in the LAX bathroom. The flight <laughs> was delayed, you know, to so the point is we, we made it to dinner in time. Thankfully, we were early. And the whole dinner, um, he asked us question after question after question, uh, which I still to this day remember being frustrated by because to me, in my mind, I didn't fly all this way to learn more about me. Um, 
know, that's to me, that's the most boring topic to learn more about. Yeah, um, I feel like totally. You know, <laughs> I, like, I, that's the, you know, anyway, the, the, the point, the point is I'm sitting here like, you know, and he's asking me these questions and he's a very good, very good question asker. Um, and so the whole meal, we're, he's asking questions about how we've done what we've done. And uh, by the end of the meal, you know, I thought my opportunity was done because we're, we're done with the meal. And he goes, you know, is, for whatever reason, um, he just said, you know, I'm really impressed with you and your wife and what you've done with very little help. Um, you know, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to stay. We're going to have dessert or whatever. Um, and if you if you have questions about, you know, anything that I've done or if there's anything that I know that um, may be helpful to you, please ask. And to the extent that I'm knowledgeable, I'll answer. Um, and to me, that was still probably the greatest opportunity was those 30 minutes, but not just because I had the 30 minutes, um, but because I asked the right question. Mm. To, to summarize, I, my question is, you know, how, how do you get to 50,000 units? Like what structurally, not not the emotive, you know, philosophical, you know, vision and, you know, all of these, like specifically, how do you how do you do that? Um, and so he took out a napkin and he drew down a structure or on the napkin drew out a structure of a fund of a Reg D 506 at the time, B as in boy offering, which is friends and family. And I had no idea what that was. I, I, I didn't know what a five, I didn't know any part of that. So, but I was thrilled because, and I, and I've described this since on our, even on our website to this day, there's a picture of a train track that you can, you know, it's a train track and you see in the distance, a hundred miles in the distance you, with clarity, you see where the train's going. The reason I selected that image relates to this meal because going into this meal, I felt like I was on the right track, but I couldn't see much, much past my feet. You know, so I'm, it's like the tracks were covered in a very dense fog. So you can see the tracks going, but maybe five, 10 feet out and you just hope there's not a cliff or, you know, you know, the, the railroads out or there's, you know, danger around the bend. You couldn't see. But after this meal, it was like the um, literally like a, a strong wind had blown the fog off the tracks and I could now see a hundred mile in the distance mm -hmm. um, and I, I could see how something could be built. Um, something significant could be built. Um, now we just had to execute, which I've never struggled with, um, you know, running uh, or, or or moving. So anyway, um, so that that meal, that dinner provided the the base of understanding um, or the knowledge that even an opportunity existed. We then flew home, hired a securities attorney, and you know, and that eventually became in 2010 our first fund, and then our second, and now our seventh, and next year we'll, what will likely be our eighth. And mm. yep. Yeah, anyway, and then and to go full circle, as as this gentleman whose name is Brian Don, um, you know, as we got to know him and he got to know us, um, you know. We, we are good at things that he's not. He is good at things that we're not. But more than any of that, we just really have grown. A great relationship has grown. We, we uh, really respect him and think the feeling is mutual. So he, we are presently partners. Um, so, um, you know, Fund 7 is a partnership between Jamie, myself, and Brian. And then going forward, we will likely continue to work together, not just, uh, like I said, not be purely because of the benefit we provide, but uh, we just we like, you know, we like working. Amazing. So it's, it's kind of full circle that, you know. Wow. There's so much. I, I want to point out a couple of things. I want to ask you a couple of questions. One is that sure. you had, you were in Orlando, Florida. You didn't know who this guy was, but you knew what he did. And you literally got on a plane and in less than 24 hours, really, you were at his, you were at a restaurant in, uh, in California uh, of all places to meet with this guy. And I think that 
uh, is amazing that you guys took advantage of an opportunity um, and, and we're willing, we're flexible to say, hey, we're, let's like we have to get there. I, I think that is so um, that's so powerful that opportunities are out there. Like if we take the action, right, like yeah. we have to we have to be OK with the uncomfortable. Yeah, I think so. And then, and then the the other part that I didn't tell you that I thought and I'll, I'll brag on my wife because, you know, there's there's IQ and there's EQ, it's been said. Um mm-hmm. And my wife is Einsteinian. She's not only bright from an IQ standpoint, but from an EQ standpoint, she would, but I would call her Einsteinian uh, genius from an EQ standpoint. She's off the charts. But one of the things that that demonstrates that is after we met Brian, and we, you know, he invested in us, or we considered it an investment. I think he he probably looked at it like I'll throw these kids some crumbs and you know <laughs> see what see what they do, but. But what was crumb to him was a meal for a year for us. You know, it was it was valuable. So we we went out, we took it, we executed, and then you know Jamie's really big on um, you know building relation, authentic relationships, not uh, quid pro quo. What can I get from you? Just you know. Uh, anyway, she kept him informed as to our progress and said, "This is this is you know we took the investment you made in us, and this is how we have stewarded it, and this is what we're doing with it." and you know, a couple of years later, I think we, you know, we had gone from, you know, call it we're 500 plus or minus units to several thousand units. And we said, you know, this was a direct contribution to the investment you made in us that night at dinner. Um, you know, and then in addition to that, she had researched and found out who his mentor was, uh, a gentleman who had invested into his life, you know, some 50, 60 years ago, who was still alive in his, in his 90s. And so Jamie wrote him a letter. His name was Mr. Bonner. Uh, and wrote Mr. Bonner a letter um, thanking him for investing and mentoring Brian um, because derivatively we are now reaping um, you know the benefits of his mentorship of Brian via Brian's mentorship of us. Wow. And so yeah, so again, this you know to repeat the prior theme, you know Brian got the letter, you know, called Jamie immediately and said, you know I, I'm I'm blown away. I'd like to meet tomorrow. And we're like. Uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think this time we were in Salt Lake when we got the call. And again, we we flew to um, we flew to California to have lunch with both Brian and Rush um, at Big Canyon Country Club. Um, and you know that's really when the relationship really was solidified, wow. and it's been great. Wow, that's so incredible! Your wife is an incredible woman. I, I met her in. Uh, we're, you're a lucky man. We're, we've, we both married very well. Um, (laughs) wow. Wow. That is such an awesome story. So I got a question, a real estate question, and this is a selfish question because I have you on my, uh, so if if people are real estate investors, but I want to ask you this because, you know, we're, we're beginning to kind of build out our, our real estate portfolio. We're focused on multifamily, the fun model. I guess I just want to ask from a business perspective. I mean, you know, and I, 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 want, I love this thing of better, or you're saying better, not more. Do, do you still kind of recommend the fund model for something like what we're doing in acquiring multifamily assets? And and we're just getting started, right? Like, I mean, we have 144 units under management. So is the fund uh, model of, of what you said, the, the Reg D 506B, still something that you would you would start with even in my position? It's hard to say. I, I would model both ways. That there's pros and cons, like everything. There's in, and you just have to evaluate. I think the the pros versus the cons. So, some without knowing what you're shooting for, going for the negative of the fund model is 
um, and, and I'm talking about just beyond, in, in my opinion, people don't struggle with the good. You know, the, the, the bright, shiny lights, people have no problem seeing and chasing those. Mm-hmm. It's the risks that people generally don't take the time to, to really think about. So I, I, I typically focus on what the negatives are. Um, so in terms of the, the negatives to a fund model is, um, number one, your cost of capital, depending on your current base of relationships, may be a little higher um, because you're trying to scale up. Um, and you haven't done it before, so you may have to spend a little bit more to raise. Um, you have, you know, to a degree, some regulatory risk. Um, there's a lot of do's and don'ts that you really have to know about. Um, you know, um, there's just there's a lot to know and um, what you can say, what you can't say, how you operate um, that that you would want to know. But ultimately, from a financial perspective, you know, you're you're giving quite a bit to investors, so your cost of capital is pretty high mm-hmm. on a fund model. Um, so you have to, you have to decide, um, can you scale that model, um, sufficient to produce a better return than maybe going at it at a slower and a smaller pace? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, you just have to model that out, you know, what's, what's your cost of capital for your, you know, a a one-off syndicated deal versus a, a fund, um, you know, the benefit though, the benefit of a fund is, you know, and this is why. You know, our funds are, you, you'll see this in fund one through seven. So fund seven has been open or will have been open for roughly three years. The reason we're not trying to raise more, our, our funds are not about getting bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, we can, we can raise and deploy between 30 and 50 million a year. Okay. We, we can do that. We think very well. Okay. If you get a hundred million or 200 million in a year, it's hard to do that well, you know, cause if you're 200 million and you know, you lever at 60%, that's 600 million in assets. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you buy? It's it's really difficult to do that well. So the point is, what we've done is we've kept our funds open longer, which by virtue of that makes them bigger, right? So we're, we're not trying to actually raise more and more money faster. Okay, now the reason why that's important is if you're building a balance sheet, you know, a a balance sheet of a hundred and fifty million dollar fund with assets, that's roughly three hundred to three hundred and fifty million in assets, you know, with sixty percent leverage. So that starts to open up um, debt options that you wouldn't have with a smaller balance sheet. So, for example, Fund 7 has a revolving line of credit, that uh, acquisition facility that's secured by the fund's balance sheet, mm. not necessarily by the assets. So it starts to open up um, different options that you may not have with a smaller balance sheet. Anyway, there, there's, a, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, no, no, that that's uh, totally and that's, I mean, and that's cool to think about even the creative financing there, right? That you can actually, uh, even you talked about the the revolving line of credit on something like on even just the fund you have, and you don't even have to worry about the property, or you're, you're not even using the property at that point. So, um, I can definitely see the benefits of that. And I mean, but you're at scale, so that's that's really uh, with the fund. Last question: on the fund, and I know our listeners are probably thinking, really, unless you're geeking out here, but because I got you on, I want to. Sure. Um, as I think about the fund model. I guess I'm trying to understand it a little bit too, like when investors, so if the investors put their money in, the nice thing about a fund is you have a place for them to bring their money in right away, right? Versus a one-off deal, uh, you know, you have to kind of wait for you have the property and then you can go acquire the asset. How do you think about, or, or how do you kind of even set up the returns for that, right? Like in, if, if they're going to give in January, but we don't necessarily go acquire the property until August, um, how do, is, I mean, how do you really think about that or model that out? 
Yeah, so I, I, I would go backwards to say what are, based on how you operate and how you do things, what are what are the likely outcomes and then what are the risks of those outcomes and then go back and create a, a structure for the fund that addresses those those risks. Um, you know, so there's a, you know, for one, if if there's a, an issue with the timing of capital coming into the fund and that you don't want it accruing a return, you know, without being deployed into assets generating a return, the delta between that window of time is basically that's taking out of you the sponsor's bucket. Right. Um, so you, there's there's ways you can address that. You can say, okay, well, your your investment starts accruing a return 30 days after acceptance or 60 days or 90 days. Um, or you can um, you can put that in and then you can also say, okay, well, we, you know, you can wait to accept the capital. You know, you can do your closes once a month or once a quarter, or, you know, and so you can time the closing of investors into the fund with the acquisitions that you have. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can address it, but I would more or less think of it in that term. Start with your likely outcomes and then work backwards to create a structure that makes sense. And then the only other thing, actually, to go back on the fund model, the only other thing you you would probably want to consider, I think, is just the kind of the state of the market today. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about late cycle real estate, you know, that we're late in the cycle. I also think that has ramifications to capital raising. I tend to, you know, right now, you know, capital, I would say is easier to come by than deals. But I think in the, you know, the probably the next iteration deals will probably be more, you know, easy to come by than capital. So a lot of people today are, are looking to start funds because it's perceived that raising capital is very easy. Um, I don't know that that'll continue to be the case to the same degree as it is today in the future. So mm-hmm. you, you want to, I actually think it'll be different. Um, but, but that's my, that's my view. Um, so that's something to consider too. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Ryan, this has been, I'm I'm so loving this conversation. I want to ask you just a couple personal questions before we finish up our time here. And the, um, kind of the hot seat, if if you don't mind here is, uh, first one is biggest struggle as a kingdom capitalist man, man, you know, a business owner and, and really trying to, I mean, you, you've shared some really incredible things about how do we really ground ourselves. But for you, what do you like? What are you struggling with? What is the biggest struggle of all of this? You know, I, w- I would say what what I talked about earlier because it's the reason why I talked about it is it's my you know it, it's something presently on my mind and that's just staying at the foot of the cross and and living my life in response to that because I I think that a lot of the bumps in my day you know um, you know whether it's a, a literal bump or an emotional bump are a byproduct of of not doing that. Um, mm. So to me, I think that's that's my constant challenge. How do you practice um, generosity in your business? In your and, and I guess I'm speaking mostly with kind of you know you're you're building wealth, you're you make good money. How do you how how do you practice generosity? Yeah, so I, I again you know in response to the cross, you know we are the recipients of something that is greater than anything we could ever envision or imagine. You know, in my in my opinion, that's that's my belief. Somebody who's not a believer would probably hear this conversation and say this is very strange. Um, but, but to me, in response to that, if we have received a great gift, um, you know, like for example, if any, you know, from a business lens, if if somebody handed you a billion dollars of property free and clear and said, just because you're you, here you go, how would you live the rest of your life? Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're free, right? Like a, right. you you. That's amazing. Right. So from that's a funny, but 
how much more do we have than that and what Christ did for us on the cross? Right. So, so your same statement, we're free. So the, the point is, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of times it's, you know, I'll say the cultural context, the way a lot of people and, and, and fairly so today look at giving is there's a lot of eye rolling when it's, when generosity comes up, because it's almost like, okay, I, I pillage and I, I do harm to earn. And then I give as a mea copa, as a, as a way to make amends for the way that I've come by my wealth. And that's the way a lot of people view it. But to me, I mean, generosity is not just the, the sum total of one action or initiative or corporate, you know, deal. Um, it's, it's the way you live your life. It's the way you treat your neighbor. It's the way you raise your kids. It's the, it should be infused into everything you do. Um, but some of the things that Jamie and I have done from a giving lens that have been, you know, life giving, um, in addition to, you know, you know, tithing and, and doing the things, um, kind of the, the standard things that we should be doing, um, is the formation of giving groups. My wife, Jamie has organized, uh, she's, she's really been great at this, but we, we really like giving, not just writing a check to an organization. Um, not that there's anything wrong with organizations. There's many great organizations. So we want to give locally within our community and we want to do it, um, by linking arms with other people. Um, not just because that scales the ability to give, but it's also, it's just really, it, it's a social fabric. We live within a fabric of relationship. Um, and so we, we want to affect our, our fabric, our community. And so doing it by linking arms has been helpful. So we have formed, I think there's six or seven giving groups in Orlando. Each one is different. Um, it's kind of its own self-defined deal. Um, and so like one giving group, it could be, let's say $2,500 a year to, I don't even want to say to join, uh, but to participate in the, in the giving and the $2,500 goes out. There's zero to the group. So the point is you have 12 people, which we usually do, that's $30,000 a year. And so you meet twice a year and any one of the 12 can formally propose a gift to somebody in their community. Um, and then the group can define how they want to do that. So for example, many of our groups, um, you know, we, the gift has to go directly to somebody and the gift has to solve the issue. So it can't be just kicking the can down the road. It has to be a, a pathway to a permanent solution. Um, so I'll give you two quick uh, follow-ons uh, to this really, really quickly. So one of the things initially when we form these giving groups, it's really interesting that we realized is we don't know that many people that are really that, in, in that, that hard up. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was an indictment on our, on our social fabric to say, mm -hmm. you know, cause part of, part of, to me, the responsibility and, you know, wealth, uh, and wealth creation is by becoming more wealthy, we, in essence, have more control over our life and are less at risk. So vulnerability goes down, control goes up. There are many other people in our society who their risk is going up and their control goes down. So to me, the obligation, the social contract should be, I should take some of my control and give it to them so that I have less so they can have more. And I should take on some of their risks so that they have less so that I have more. Mm. Okay. So, so to me, that's a, so that, that requires a social fabric. The, the problem is there, well, the, the good thing is there's a lot of people who kind of want to do that. And that statement may resonate, but then the, the other half of the equation is you don't know somebody in that, in right. that way. And so it's really, in, in a great way, forced us to actually reach out to other um, zip codes and other people who live within our community and form a more integrated fabric with people who are different from us and we are different from them. Um, although um, 
you know, same at the foot across. Um, but the, you know, the point is it's been wonderful. So one example is one of our, um, our landscapers, a gentleman who's one of my favorite people on earth. He's a uh, ex-con uh, and, you know, um, he got out, I think 20 years ago. He's just, he's, he's one of my favorite people, you know, is in community with other ex-cons and people who have, um, you know, issues uh, from time to time. And so he brought us up uh, or introduced us uh, to a lady, a friend of his um, about two years ago. She is um, a hardworking lady. Uh, her dad died, her car broke down and her husband left in the same week. Um, and that was, and she has four kids and that was enough uh, to uh, render her homeless. So you hear homeless and, you know, we have all of our preconceived notions and she's none of them. She's an, an incredible lady, hardworking, just episodically homeless, something mm -hmm. happened. And so she and her four kids lived in a roach motel here, was paying almost $1,600, $1,700 a month for a roach motel, got evicted from her home and, and she's working. So she's working all day, leaving her kids in a roach motel. And so, you know, we met her, um, we kind of considered her situation. One of the giving groups then provided the down payment. We worked with her to get financing. And by the way, she was able to get financing to buy a mobile home, a three bedroom, two bath mobile home. We provided the down payment of $10,000. Uh, and then we also came around her, bought her a new car so that her car wow. never broke down again. Um, so within, you know, so now, you know, her, her, you know, this, this beautiful lady and her four kids is now a homeowner you know, doing quite well. And, you know, anyway, that's, that's, you know, and she lives, um, her mobile homes less than a mile from my home, which I love. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's just, that's one example. And there's many. That that's so amazing. The, the, where's your wife at Ryan? That's who we really need on this call, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, so you've been amazing. Maybe we, maybe we can do a follow-up interview and have her. Cause I, I would really love to, sure. to get her on here as well. But real quick, if, if someone, the giving group, I, I remember hearing that story and I, I've been inspired to, to do something like that. Or let's say someone else is inspired to do that. How do you, how would you start a giving group? How, how would you go about that? Yeah. So if, if anybody first, if anybody wants kind of a blueprint, we have kind of a template built, you know, oh, cool. uh, of kind of a process doc of, you know, how to do it. And we've shared it with others because, um, you know, it's a very attractive concept. And um, we I will say we've noticed a lot of people who, uh, you know, they get invited to to be a part of um, to give or to be charitable. And a lot of people say no to different um solicitations but the the giving group concept is we we've noticed has really attracted a lot of people um and it's making a pretty good difference in orlando so anyway if anybody's interested um we're happy to share kind of our best practices and you know provide you know points of feedback along the way if that could be helpful yeah could would you could you share that document with me i think we, sure. we could use it as a resource for yeah, our kingdom capitalist group and that would be amazing yeah i'd be happy to yeah, I'll uh, shoot you a reminder to do that. Well, um, Ryan, last last question, man, and, and then we'll be done here. Um, and I didn't prepare you for this one on on, on purpose because I just I, I want the I want the spur of the moment answer here. If you could go back to your twenty two year old self, what advice would you give yourself? And and this is this is broad. This is doesn't have to be about business or faith. Like if you're going back to Ryan at twenty two years old, what would you tell him right now if? if if there's a young guy listening to this podcast and he's he's a Christian man and he's kind of beginning to think entrepreneurial or about about his first business, what it and and that was you really right? Like, what advice would you give to him? Yeah, for for a, a non-believer, I would say believe in yourself. Um, you know, and and 
believe in yourself from the standpoint of, you know, and, and I hate the, the the cliche statement of, you know, the shallow believe in yourself. I, I mean, believe in yourself when you get punched in the face or when wind blows you to the left or the right, you know, just believe in your capability. But I, I do believe that somebody who um, is a believer um, can be better at that um, because it's an identity issue. You know, if you, if you know, you know, who made you, designed you, loves you, and what has been done for you again in the past, um, then you have all the reason to believe in who, you know, whose you are, um, whose hand you're in and where you're going. And, you know, there's a lot of verses that speak to that. So uh, the, the point is, I'd say, believe in yourself um, and, and live that out. That's awesome. Man, well, thank you so, so much for your time. I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I know that our audience, this is, uh, it, 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 if you enjoy this conversation with Ryan, let me know. Um, just would love to hear your feedback. As a reminder, if if you're enjoying these shows, please leave us a, a, a rating, a review, and um, even, you know, take a screenshot of this and share it with me um, on Instagram or Facebook and let somebody else know about this program. Uh, I want to continue to bring on amazing guests like Ryan uh, to really kind of help our community, to help you as a kingdom capitalist, really build and grow wealth for the kingdom of God to, as Ryan said today, to stay at the feet of the cross and all that we do. So, Ryan, thank you for that incredible, incredible reminder. Um, be blessed, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this show today. If you want to learn more about our community, you're going to want to visit us at kingdomcapitalist.co. There you can find info on our private mastermind and even subscribe to our newsletter to get updates on new shows. And last but not least, land opportunities to get private trainings and coaching calls with the guests of this show. If you're enjoying this show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and also share this with a friend. We'll see you next time.